0: Whether you're gathered here today or you're streaming at a later time or you're even watching that online at home, uh, the goal of church is to find rhythms and spaces to meet with God. And if you're a spiritually curious person, your goal is to, uh, to have maybe some questions answered and those spiritual disciplines are a way in which you can do that. Uh, we're in right now uh, a, the spiritual discipline of worship. We are going to be having a worship in the round tonight in this building uh, we want to make sure and invite as many people as possible. It's very unique. We take all the musicians, everybody off stage, so no one's elevated. We put them in the middle of the room. Uh, we have a baptismal that's open for anybody that, that feels in their heart that that's something God has asked them to do. We'll have a communion space. We'll have a prayer space where people can pray for you, and you can also write out your prayer requests. And then we just, we just worship. And uh, it's going to be really special. This one is unique because it's family worship. We're going to include all the children in the service, so all the noises will be holy noises to the Lord. He won't mind at all. And, uh, and I think it's going to be something really special. So my hope is that uh, you'll consider coming and not just taking today's uh, talk into heart, but also maybe come and actually implement some of the stuff that we're going to learn today. So that's today here at the Uptown Campus. Um, Worship is an interesting thing, and so I just want to start off by saying this, that I probably need to teach a series uh, just on worship for a couple months. Because trying to get a hold of this discipline in a way that that blesses you and blessed me was just immense. Uh, It's really different than a lot of the other spiritual disciplines in that it's not something for me to connect with God as much as it's something God requires, something that God uh, proclaims we should be doing. And it is really, really difficult to get that all inside a 30-minute message. Uh, So we're going to plan a series later, but today is just sort of a cornerstone. That's what I would like to do is unpack just a cornerstone so that we can start to build our biblical understanding of worship together. Amen? Okay. Here's my working definition of worship to start. True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. So... The understanding is this, that, that, that there is all sorts of stuff in this world, we're going to talk about this, that, that desires to pull your eyes, your attention, and your focus. And God says above all those things, above all circumstance, above all accidents or tripping upstairs, he desires to be the focus. He desires to be glorified, and therefore that is true worship. Let's look together at a helpful way to hold the worship we see in the Bible now that we understand that context there's two primary themes of worship in the Bible that I think are great places to start as we build this cornerstone. And that starts with this statement. All worship in Scripture is either referring to the caller or the called. The caller or the called. It's all kind of, it all kind of splits into those, different, those two different paths. This can also be understood as objective or subjective worship. Objective worship focuses upon God in relation to me. Upon God in relation to me. Subjective worship focuses upon me in relation to God. So worship, that is focusing on the worthiness of God and his holiness and his perfection and his power and his glory would be known as subjective worship. That was what it would be known as, objective worship. On the flip side, worship that properly helps us to appropriately see ourselves and that without God we are... People of depravity and desperation would be known as subjective worship. So here's a biblical example of objective worship. Worship that focuses upon God in relation to me. Do you remember the story of Moses when he is, uh, he is kind of an outcast of society? He spent 40 years on the run from Egypt because he murdered a man. And he's about 80 years old and he's doing his daily job of leading sheep to pasture. And it says, now Moses was keeping the flock. This is Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. And this is a description of what we were talking about, objective worship. Worship that focuses upon God in relation to me. Listen to what he says. He says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, and the God of... Uh, Jacob again. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So here's the idea of this subjective worship. Moses isn't seeking God. Moses isn't looking probably for many answers. He spent forty years on the run in a lifestyle that has become comfortable, but God really wasn't at the center of it. And then God shows up. And before God even introduces himself to Moses as God, he says, this place that you're standing in my presence is holy ground, and you need to remove your sandals. I think this is a profound statement of one of the most important things about worship we need to realize, and that's that you don't have to be seeking worship to be called to worship. You also don't have to be in a rhythm where you're doing everything right in your life, where you're going to church, where you're prepared, where you're disciplined. You're right in the right space at the right time, and then you see the fire of God, and you know it's the fire of God, so you respond with sandals off. This man is not doing that. He's just doing his job. He's shepherding. He sees the fire. The spire speaks to him, and the first thing it says is, before I even introduce myself here, young man, go ahead and take your sandals off because the space you're in right now is Holy. Worship is what we are called to do whether we understand fully the workings of God in our lives at that time or not. You don't have to figure out who God is and how he's working and get a bunch of answers to check a bunch of boxes for you to be called to worship and remove the sandals of your soul. We are called to worship. And oftentimes, like in this example, it's inside the worship that we get introduced to God and who he is. Some of you in this space, you're waiting to have this encounter with God, but you won't remove your soul sandals. You got work to do. You got sheep to feed. So you show up. You put in your time. You read some scripture. You check it off the list. You sing the song, and you go about the rest of your life, hoping for an encounter that God will, uh, you know, make happen eventually. But you don't realize that all God is doing is trying to speak to you in the space you are. But you got to pull off your sandals for Him to introduce Himself in a way. Maybe He never has before worship is powerful in this way it's powerful in the way that it represents who god is in relationship to me on the other hand a great modern example of on the flip side subjective worship would be like the well-known song that we just sang today amazing grace again subjective worship focuses upon me in relationship to god think about these lyrics in that context Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. This song paints a very clear picture of not who God is in relationship to me, but who I am in relationship to God. You don't hear a lot of songs that start off with, I'm a wretch. But this is that powerful, subjective place that this sort of worship brings us to. All biblical worship, all of it, is carefully held and so thoughtfully offered in this necessary place of gracious tension between the objective and the subjective. That's the space we move to. We don't just do one and only talk about how great God is without talking about how much we need him. And we don't just talk about how much we need God without talking about how great he is. In other words, worship is found in the space between focusing on me in relationship to God and God in relationship to me. And when you can engage that space, many times... You begin to see a clearer picture of the things that God is calling you into or out of. But often it starts with being willing to sit in that tension of worship. Next, I want to talk about the object of our worship. Because I want to make sure we're clear that there's a very specific kind of uh, uh, focus that the object of our worship is supposed to fall upon. And that is God the Father. God the Father is the fountain of divine love. He is the source of the encouragement we receive in the scriptures and answers to our prayers and the grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in all the other blessings we receive. As the source of all, God the Father is to be served as the object of all our adoration for he is the one to whom we respond with love, prayers, and worship. We get a lot of that focus biblically uh, explained through Jesus. Jesus himself teaches us in Matthew 4.10 that you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. He goes into a bit more depth in uh, Mark 12 verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So your whole person shall be focused upon God the Father. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The divine priority here is worship always comes first before serving. Always. As Christians, we, I think, if I'm honest, especially as people in churchdom, we've gotten this backwards. We've come to this place that if you get into a church, the first thing that we'll generally ask you to do is serve. Serve. I've never been to a church yet that the first thing we ask you to do is, is up your worship game. Like, that's never happened. It's like, hey, can you help out in kids? Can you be part of a small group? Can you serve on ushers? Can you, can you play music? Like, it's a pretty normal thing to ask people, what can you do for God now that you're in God's house? It's not culturally, uh, uh, I don't know the right word, uh, relevant in today's age to ask people, oh, welcome to church. I'd really love it if you could just really raise your worship. And yet, that's what we hear here. For service, proper service, flows out of worship. Service, as a substitute for worship, is known as idolatry. When you serve, and that's how—that's the only thing that you do, generally speaking, you are serving in a way, I'm going to be very general, but very specific at the same time. People serve because it does something for them. That's why we post all the great things we do for people who need our great things. We're like, look at how much more help they are now that I'm here. And there's just just something that happens when we serve if we aren't serving out of worship. We begin to steal, in my opinion, just a little bit of God's glory. I'm actually working on a series uh, for next year called Glory Thief, where all I want to do is talk about all the ways that we are to give God glory that we actually often steal. And a lot of that in church happens beneath the lights. 30 minutes with a guy like me and a microphone like this. It's, it's, just, it's just so easy. It's so natural. You have, to, you have to teach your way down and out of this kind of thinking. Because serving feels good especially when people applaud you rarely do i hear of people serving who someone says wow i only see god in that and i'm so amazed at what he's doing and i'm going to give him worship because of your desire to serve him out of worship and everybody's worshiping including me who's watching you serve you who's serving and the person who's being served all three in a perfect world would be worshiping god because of the service that was flowing from the worship that was happening amongst those lives but usually it doesn't work that way. And at least one person leaves feeling pretty good about themselves that they were able to help other people who just weren't as blessed as they are. That was not in my notes. So that is extra for, for somebody in the room today. <laughs> this happens here at Keset Every Once in a While if you're new. Um, I think for some of us, it's time that we checked our hearts around why we're serving. And that we get back to the idea that it is all supposed to flow out of worship and out of focus and out of adoration to God the Father. Another way of saying this, another way that you may remember this, is to think of it this way. When it comes to serving, especially in the church, only serving is that activity is the enemy of adoration if activity is the focus of your heart, Basically, you can't fake worship. You just can't. No matter how well you perform your pious acts of serving or speaking or singing. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us when he says in Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips. Think about how specific this verse is for them and us. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. He's not saying they're not worshiping him. He's just saying it's vanity focused. They are worshiping him in order to receive glory because of how good they are at worshiping. They've got self-disciplined at it. They've got good at it. This is the whole prayer on the street corner, more eloquent, more powerfully, more focused upon me while people go, this person must have a direct line to God. They must be holy and spiritual. I want to follow them. I want to be part of their camp. I want to be part of their inner circle. And the whole time God's like, first off, gross on you and for even wanting that, not being able to see through it and also double gross on the person who's actually doing this stuff, taking glory from the Lord who deserves it all. You cannot refine or better discipline your worship. It's not a skill to be mastered. It's a heart posture to be experienced. And the Bible's full of people who never could figure out this piece. Jonathan Edwards himself says, Scripture is full of people who do things for God without having a life with God. And I think most of those people, and, and I do this with, I, I, I'm trying to do this less because I think Kesed is getting um, more mature and more, more I don't know, well-rounded in its its spiritual presence in the community and God's bringing people who figured a lot of this out. But I don't know if I'll ever stop reminding us that when we read quotes like that, right, when we read scripture full of people who do things for God without a life with God, those people are gathered usually on Sunday mornings. He's not talking about just the people outside that don't attend church and don't sing and don't speak and don't preach and don't study the Bible. Those people aren't aren't doing anything for God anyways. They're, They're actually more true of heart because they're living their lives for themselves. They know all the glory they want is for them. It's us that scripture is often referring to, God's people who get confused with what it means to stand before him and and bring his blessings to other people while glorifying him, that we even get to be a part of his movement in the first place. And so I say that not to discipline us as a church. I say it to remind us of the importance of our call, the importance of the posture that we have, the importance of who we put in authority, the importance of who we listen to, and the important thing is always question whoever sits under these lights because they are simply human. It is spirit and scripture that guides our church and all churches. And without that, then we will eventually steal it to make it something that it was never intended to be. One of the most powerful things about worship is that uh, it reveals. And it doesn't reveal to God. He, of course, already knows genuine worship from the self-serving, self-righteous noise that a lot of us can make. Worship, instead, true worship, reveals to us the focus of our own inner voice and agenda. And that's because true worship is you standing before God and and me standing before God empty-handed. When you set down your excuses of why you you know shouldn't be dealing with things in your life, or you set down your excuses around why uh, you shouldn't carry the responsibility you do in your life, when you set down all your reasons for why God should use you instead of somebody else, when you set down everything and just say, "Here am I, Lord," like Moses does, you are empty-handed. I mean, Moses is traveling around just doing his day job. I don't even know, by the way, if you're supposed to have sheep on the mountain of God. I think that was a profound thought there. It's like, I'm just going to work and, you know, and, and do my thing. And all of a sudden, God's like, hey, look, Moses is here. All of a sudden, we're going to have relationship and connection. But Moses doesn't show up as a prince of Egypt. He doesn't show up as the leader of God's people. He shows up as a responsible shepherd just going about his day job, willing to set down anything that would excuse him from being used by God. And, yes, along his journey, he tried many times to say, God, I'm not your guy. And I think many times God was like, that's exactly why you're my guy. Because your hands are empty. Moses, God's like, here's responsibility. Moses is like, I I didn't handle this well last time, God. I'm not your guy. And God's like, that's why I want it. And here's anointing. God, I don't know if I should be the one. You realize I took a life. And God's like, that's why I want it. Every time God put something in Moses' hands, he didn't focus on the thing, the skill, the gift, the anointing, the calling, none of it. He just continued to focus on God. And that made him empty-handed when you and I... Get to a place where we are truly worshiping. There is nothing between God and me. There's no excuse. There's no talent. There's no skill. It's just my empty hand proclaiming to him and my empty heart proclaiming to him and my empty mind proclaiming to him that without him I am nothing more than a vessel waiting to be filled. And I think that's the space that God wants to hold because he knows that he gets all the glory. My wife and I do uh, too many dinners right now. There's just too many new people, too many beautiful stories, and and we're just trying to to get to know as many people as we can. And I can tell you in every single dinner, at one point in the dinner, every single dinner, they don't generally say it out loud, but I can see in the eyes of the ones who host us, you are wholly unimpressive (laughs) of me. Because they want the question, right? And they want, I, I guess, the experience. Especially if they're not, if they're not used to, to church leadership. And they're like, okay, Danny's going to come. He's probably going to have some great quotes. He's probably going to sing some great stuff, you know, with his life. He's going gonna, gonna to be amazing. And after a while, they're just like, yeah, how, what? And I, I say I don't know a lot. I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, where's Kesset going? I just had a confrontation recently. Someone's like, I need to know the vision of the church. And I leaned forward. And they were like, here it comes. And I was like, Me too. Oh, oh, me too. Like we didn't set out to be a church that was, that was including emotional health. We didn't set out to be a church that was including tension or being a house of conversation or being willing to, to be generous. We, none of these things, these, these things happen to us. And many times they happen to us in worship. And so my hope is, my greatest hope is to leave this church when God calls me to, you know, hopefully on the day I breathe my last, but who knows, he could do it sooner. And everybody's like, I don't know much, but I know Danny definitely didn't have the skill to be a part of leading that church where it went. God is real. That's my hope. My hope is to be wholly forgotten by the next generation. That's my hope. Because I got stuff to do with God. We got our own thing going on in heaven and where, what? You know, I got questions. I got frustrations. I got stuff him and I got to work out. He knows it. I also think God really likes me. I've told my wife, she goes, I I make comments. (laughs) I'm a a commenter. And so uh, my wife will say things like, I don't think that's funny. And I'm like, that's okay. God does. (laughs) It's ask her at least once a week. I'm like, Aaron, I know you don't, I know you know this, but God thinks I'm hilarious. And I, and I do. I just, think, I just think I'm that kid in the family, and he's like, Ugh, I wish you would run your mouth less, but that's also pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, right? I think he does that. I have a relationship with him, but my goal is not to leave my name in this county. My goal is to make sure the only name that anyone thinks of when they think of God's chesed love, his steadfast love, is him. And that's what we're supposed to do, but we can't do that unless we become worshipers. Otherwise, if we put aside worship and it doesn't become important, then our hands will get a hold of our egos and our identity and our vision and our leadership and our strategy and our plans. And next thing you know, it'll be us doing it, and everyone will go, man, there's some really solid disciplined leaders at Kesed, and I could care less. That's very important, by the way, and we strive to have that. But it's not the focus of the church because we don't worship, nor are we supposed to worship any of that stuff. There is a burning desire within every human being to call attention to that which is most valuable and treasurable in this world. In other words, to proclaim what we worship. At one point or another, all of us will look upon our lives and creation and proclaim that which we hold to believe offers the most value and meaning to our existence. Whether it be love, family, children, sacrifice, honor, hope. And I, I, I mean this gently, again, I, I keep prefacing with this 11 o'clock crowd, all this is meant to be gentle, but you're not supposed to worship your family. You're not supposed to worship love. You're not even supposed to worship the gospel. You're not supposed to worship scripture, or the church, or the movement. You're not supposed to worship any of that stuff. All of that stuff happens, though, when you worship God. It's important to understand that, that yes, God does desire our worship. But I don't know if we realize very often that he doesn't need it. C.S. Lewis said a quote that I think he would probably get in trouble for right now if he was alive, but um, he's not. And so if you want to complain, you can write to his website. (laughs) He said, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. God's not after your worship. He doesn't need it. God doesn't like glow more the more that you worship. He's not like, oh, finally they're worshiping because I haven't had my worship nutrients. You know, I was running a little low on my worship calories and I'm excited that it's Sunday so I can fill back up. That's not how it works. Worship reveals, you could say, actually more about us than it ever would about God. And so you may even be able to add that it's more beneficial for us than it is for God because God lacks nothing. While worship, when entered into authentically by you and I, reveals every need I have. The gift of worship is a proper understanding of my humble place in the universe beneath the benevolent gaze of a God whose love for me is beyond that which my imagination can grasp. And so I worship so that I can set down the things that will harm me, the things that that will keep me from being in the presence of God who loves me and wants to heal me and convict me and hold me. And so I worship because I can't fully worship holding all that stuff, including holding Danny. And I have to empty myself and open myself and proclaim that he is worthy of it all as we sing. And in that place, God responds and does powerful stuff. So... How do we put all this into motion? How do we as Christ followers respond with both our external and internal voice to the voice of God who first spoke the world into existence? It's a great question. Throughout the Bible, there's a biblical narrative or a theme that you may have picked up in little pieces, but it's all throughout the Bible. And it's pretty easy to see when you understand it inside the phrase, seek the face of God. Psalm 27.8 says, My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Psalm 105.3.4 says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Psalm 17.15, As for me, I will be vindicated and I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. These are just a few verses, and it's Old Testament and New that, 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 that uh, you know, judges, prophets, leaders, priests, Jesus, everybody says what you are to be doing in your life is seeking the face of God. Let's think about a face just for a second. This is the, the most precious and important face on the planet right now to me. This is my wife, Aaron. And I met Aaron when I was uh, 14 years old. And I thought she was the most beautiful girl in school, and she thought nothing about me at all, nor did she even look upon me for the entire couple years we went to school in junior high. But that all changed when I became incredibly handsome at 19 years old, and she saw me again <laughs> and she saw me again at a college group, and she walked in, and I knew her face immediately, but once again she could not place mine. And so I, with great hilarity, explained to her who I was. And how we were supposed to get married. But that came, you know, nine, ten months later. Just recently, Erin was talking to me, and I'm not as good of a listener as I should be. So one of the things she makes me do is look at her face while she's talking, because it proves to her usually that I'm listening. So she'd be like, hey. Look at me, I'm talking to you. And I'd be like, okay, and I'll listen. And as she was talking, she was talking about something she was thankful for and thoughtful about. And she just wanted to make sure that, that she knew how thankful and thoughtful she was for this thing. And she's looking at me and she's like, what? And I was like, say thankful again. And so she said, thankful. And I said, Th- say thoughtful. So she said thoughtful. And I said, do you pull your tongue out past your teeth to say tha? Because most people say tha behind the teeth. Like you're like, I'm so thankful and thoughtful. Like, what is that? She was like, "I do not." And I said, "Say it." And she goes, "Thank f- Oh my gosh, I do." And we laughed and it was hilarious because that's who God thinks I am. Now, here's the point. I've been looking at her face for years and never noticed that little thing because you can never fully know a face that you love, not fully. But seeking the face of God, that's some of the stuff that he's offering, is to see things and go, wait a second, God. Well, hold on a second, God. As a matter of fact, uh, here's faces of two friends that helped me start this church. They've been around since this church was about a year old. Uh, Monty helps out in volunteer coordinating with children's upstairs, and Ryan is actually the guy that runs the slides. Ryan put up a picture of Ryan just now. And Monty, when I met her, was interesting for me because Monty is a debater like I am, and she likes to articulate. When she gets really frustrated, which I used to do on purpose sometimes, she starts talking with her hands, and she starts doing this hand movement. She's like, I'm going to tell them what I think about them, and then I'm going to tell them this, and then I'm going to tell them that. And I, after all, I was like, Monty, what are you taking from a basket and putting into it? Like, what, what's happening? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't do that. And I was like, oh, oh. Right, And so it's been a thing forever. A a while back, I was walking through McMinimins by myself, and there were all these different paintings from however long ago. And I walked by one, and I stopped. And I was like, that looks like a picture of Monty putting something in a basket. So I took a picture of it, and it's my phone image of her every time she calls. This is the painting. (laughs) She hates it so much. I said, look at Monty, this is you. See, I recognized her face in something completely different because I know that face. True story, though, gets even weirder. Just a little while ago, right, I was walking through another McMenamin's, this time with Ryan. And every time we go to McMinnimans, we always talk about the painting of Monty, right, every time. And Ryan and I were walking down a hall, and he stops. He himself, he goes, Danny. And I stopped, and I knew right away. I go, Ryan, are you a time traveler? Because I'm pretty sure there was a bunch of images of like what used to be on this site of the McMenamins. And this is the picture now that's on Ryan's phone. There's Ryan from 1893. What? (laughs) We're working on getting him a bowler cap, by the way. We think you might see him rolling around. (laughs) When you know and love faces, you see them. See, this is what I think it means to seek the face of the Father. When you seek God, it's not that you just don't have an image of him. It's that you can feel him and see him in the sunset. You can see him in, in an opportunity to help a co-worker at work. You can see him in a struggle. When you seek the face of God, you can go, whoa, this feels, smells, and looks a lot like God to me. And suddenly there is worship in the creation of living your day-to-day lives, just leading your sheep around because you'll see something and you'll go, no, nah, that's not normal. I think that's God. But that doesn't happen unless you see his face. We have to seek the face of the Father to know him. I am constantly sharing with us as a church how much God wants to be in relationship with you. And I believe it's because of this desire that God wants you to know his face so well. Throughout the Old Testament, perhaps the most striking posture of worship through this seeking the face of God was that held by those who entered the temple of God to offer sacrifice and praise. All of these people, when they went into the temple of God... All of them gathered with a holy expectancy to hear the call Yahweh voice of God. And the temple in the Old Testament was movable. It had inner rooms. It was a a tent set up that moved with the people of Israel. But within the holy of holies, the innermost sanctum, right there was a curtain or a veil that nobody could go in unless they were called by God, a priest or a leader, let's say like Moses. And when they would go into this place, they would have an experience with God. They would be face to face, if you will. And they would know that any of their experiences excuses would be washed away any of their secrets would be known any conviction but they would also feel his love in this holy of holies at this time is where god said he would be that is until jesus came see when jesus came through the power of the cross and pentecost the holy spirit came we became the people who get to hold that face to face space with god and it changed everything about worship Those early believers, they knew the way of worship was different. They knew that God was moving in a different way once Christ, who was crucified, breathed his last. And that's because something incredible happened. Matthew 27 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. It's not just any old curtain. It's not a curtain with an image and a story. It's the curtain that kept the place of God from everybody else but a very select few who could come in and worship him in that space on behalf of the people. But when Jesus came, that curtain was torn in two. And suddenly now all of the worshipers of God, can sit with holy expectancy in this place of worship. Everything changed once Jesus came when it comes to worship, and now you and I get to go to those places wherever we are and experience the presence of God. No intermediaries are needed. We get to anticipate and know that Christ is present, that He is filling filling people regularly with his loving power, that he is reaching back out with nail-pierced hands and extending them in love. And we get to engage in worship like that if we want to. Now you may say, I want to find that place, to worship from that place, but I don't know how, and the good news is you don't have to. You don't have to. You just have to seek the face of God because the discovery of that place in worship, it happens because God is who he is. John 4.23, Jesus declares, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father. Listen, is seeking such people to worship him. The Father, God, is actively seeking worshipers. Even God is better at helping me worship Him than I am at worshiping Him. He's actively showing up in all these different spaces. And so all we are asked to do is step out into an authentic place of worship with a holy expectancy that God is already there and ready to meet us. This is what our worship is supposed to be about. This is what this place and every room after it that you walk into is supposed to be about. A worship that can be poured forth both during seasons of harvest and drought. This is the way of worship. This is where we find the face. Of God, And so that's why we plan to worship in the round at the end of a worship talk. Because I think for some of you, this is the thing you've been missing in your relationship. A willingness to set down all the reasons God can't receive your messy story. And God's already seeking you right now in your heart. And you are feeling the promptings. And it is so very bothersome. And that's why you're hoping I'll move on, but I'm just not gonna. Because you're doorway if you will to more with God is not going to be opened by you God is the one already there knocking all you got to do is say like Moses here I am empty yourself of all the reasons you're not a worshiper and see what he wants to do so I'm going to have the worship team come out because I realize that not everyone's going to be able to come tonight but some of you some of you I'm going to go as far to say it would actually be spiritually disobedient for you not to and you know who you are that's not being poured out on everybody. But so some of you, stop being a punk. I'll see you tonight. <laughs> you know. You know who it is. But some of you, you, you just, you just this, is, this is new and scary stuff. And so what I want to do is just create a space right now. A space where you can be a worshiper. And I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if that means you're going to stay where you are. I don't know if that means you're going to need to to fall to your knees. I don't know if that means you're going to sing at the top of your voice. Maybe you've never done that. Or raise your hands. (gasps) I don't know what it means. And I don't have to. Because it doesn't look like a certain thing. It just looks like you sitting, standing in holy expectancy that God is worthy of worship. And that he's seeking you. That he loves you. And that there is no... Uh, disqualification within your life that keeps you from being able to experience him in that place. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you stand. That's how we're going to start this service or end this service. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and just sit for a minute in silence. Lord, we want to meet you in a a different place than we have before. We don't want to pretend like we have excuses, God. You know we do. Will you help us set them down? We have pain. We have hurt. We may even have disappointment in you. Will you help us set them down, Lord, so that we can be empty-handed before the one who provides a way? Lord, in this room right now, and for those who are watching or listening in a different space and time, I just pray, God, you would fill the cab of their truck or their front room or their bedroom or the park in this church and other churches. And that, God, your spirit would be made known as the one who seeks out the worshipers who are seeking his face. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we worship you. Through the power of his blood, we worship you. In the name of the forgiveness he offers, we worship you. And we proclaim, God, that you are the great healer. You are the great provider. You are the great hope bringer. You are the great restorer. You are the great mender. You are the great leader, the great focus, the almighty, the one and only. And you, God, and you alone deserve all the glory. And so, Lord, we step out with feeble voices and doubt in our mind, and we worship you. We praise you. We love you. And we lift our broken song to you for you to do whatever you want to with. In Jesus' name. Let's worship.
1: Keep light in the darkness, oh my God. That is who you are. You are here, you are here. You're touching every heart right here, right now. Oh, I worship you. Yes, I You're working, even when I don't feel it. You're working, you never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Yeah, come on, tell them today. Here we go, even when. it's who you are, God, oh, it's who you are, who you are, oh, who you are. All right, church, let's lift our voices one more time. so much for coming coming out this morning and worshiping with us. Hey, we are super excited to have you guys tonight. So please come out six o'clock, bring your kids, bring your friends, bring your family. We want to see all of you here. And we actually have a huge favor as a family. We have chairs to get up and move to the side. So if you guys want to stick around for a little bit longer, we got a countdown clock that's going to be up here in about 15 minutes. We would love some help in moving our chairs and getting ready for here tonight, okay? We hope to see you guys. Have an awesome afternoon, and we'll see you later.